Good morning, dear saints, and blessed epiphany. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. Today is Tuesday, February 6th, and you're listening to the program where each weekday morning we explore the holy scriptures through which God bespeaks us righteous and nourishes our faith. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo of St. John Lutheran Church in Laverne, Minnesota. Today we begin a new series on the book of Deuteronomy, the so-called second giving of the law, but it's much more than that. In chapter 1, our subject for today, we witness Moses as he stands before a new generation, recounting the trials and tribulations from Horeb to Moab, the rise of leaders from among the people, and the pivotal moment of disbelief that turned a short journey into a 40-year odyssey. This chapter sets the stage for Moses' final powerful instructions, a call to remember, to learn, and to move forward with trust in Yahweh for what lies ahead. Well, whether it's over the air, online at kfuo.org, or using the KFUO app, or maybe it's a podcast or on a smart speaker, no matter how you're joining us this morning, thank you for tuning in. You're the reason we're here. So settle in, open your hearts and your minds. We are about to begin. Thy Strong Word is graciously supported by the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Learn more at lhfmissions.org. And if you have any questions or comments about today's show, you can reach out to us. Pastor Boo at gmail.com. You can also find me on Facebook or you can call 800 730 2727. Joining us this morning, it's the, Kevin, the Reverend Kevin Parvis, pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. It's the Kevin Pastor. Welcome to the program. Hey, pastor, how are you? I'm doing well, better than I deserve. Doing pretty good, actually. It's nice to have you back on the program, and uh, I'm glad to have you here as we open up Deuteronomy. Yeah, it's a lovely text, and uh, certainly quoted often in the scriptures. And uh, good, good study, good, good book. I remember when I was a kid studying this, how as a child it seemed so repetitive from the rest of Torah. But uh, I don't think I caught the, as a kid, I didn't catch the uh, subtleties of preaching to a new generation. Oh, sure, sure. And I, and I think a lot of people probably just think of, well, this is Deuteronomy. It's the, you know, it's in the Torah. It's the first five books of the Bible. It's it's kind of a repeat of the law. And I think they just leave it at that. But you're absolutely right when you dig in and you realize the context in which it's happening. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense, I think. I think it's important, too, as you read Deuteronomy, to uh, get into the mind and heart of Moses, who has already knows that he's not going into the promised land. And so, you know, you can kind of sense his own passion for these people and, and his own regret for the things that he he's experienced as well. I'll tell you what, why don't we say a prayer before we move in, and then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll unpack it. Abba Father, thank you for this day, and uh, at least here in St. Louis, we thank you for the warm weather and the reprieve from the cold weather. We pray for all those who are suffering uh, floods in California and other places around the world. And, and Father, we ask that even in these times of trial that you would give us hope and know, help us to know your grace through Christ Jesus. And we pray, Father, by your Holy Spirit that he would, that you would uh, anoint us anew also for understanding in this text. Give us joy in Jesus. In his name, B'Shem Yeshua. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, I tell you what, why don't you talk a little bit about 
uh, the place of Deuteronomy in in the Torah, in the scriptures? Like, you know, what? I guess set the stage that you missed out as a kid. Well, I just you know, I guess when I read Deuteronomy as a child, and I was, I you know, I studied it in Hebrew. It was the way I was brought up, and you had to translate it and. It, it was tedious for me, and yet it also seemed so repetitive. There wasn't, at least in my young mind, a whole lot of new information except when you got to the end. And uh, and I remember thinking, you know, I, of course I did not believe in Jesus. I did not read the New Testament. I did not know any of that stuff. But I remember thinking that, you know, I couldn't wait to get out of Torah and into what the fulfillment of all of this that that Moses is talking about, and of course I had I've read the scriptures and uh, I knew the aggravation that was going to happen, but uh, I just I I didn't res- I didn't put myself into the mindset of people who were not at Sinai who received the law. This is a whole new generation. You know, they may not have even been born yet, the people who are listening to Moses now. Moses himself has already, you know, in numbers, he's it's already recorded. He already knows he's not entering. Only Caleb and Joshua from that generation are entering. Um, so there's this, I, I would guess there has to be a certain amount of, if you get into Moses' heart, not only passion for this new people who who God is going to lead through Joshua into the promised land, uh, but his own regret and his own sorrow for not being able to do that with them. And I think it might feel obvious to us or those who have been in the scriptures, for, but for those who might, you know, maybe this is their first time encountering Deuteronomy. It's worth pointing out that, yes, Moses regrets um, not being able to enter into the promised land. <laughs> At the same time, too, I think we mustn't think of the promised land as this land that already exists flowing with milk and honey, just ready for them to move in and start living. But there are people living there. So there's going to have to be a lot of conflict over the next however many uh, decades and years to uh, to try to acquire that land. Yep. And in one hand, and I always love the end of Deuteronomy because Moses has such a peaceful funeral with God alone. He doesn't have to go in, and he's, he doesn't. He's healthy. He's vigorous. His eyesight is not dimmed. They go. He and God go up on a mountain together, and he is buried there. And he doesn't have to go in and and, and deal with all the. He goes right to the promised land. It's it's like whenever God disciplines us, he he does what he's going to say he's going to do. We certainly, uh, you know, feel the penalty of our sin, and yet there's always forgiveness and joy. I think uh, Moses' end is a beautiful end. I suppose as I get not nowhere near 120, but as I get older, <laughs> uh, I, I look forward to that end myself. Yeah, in, in some ways, Moses gets the better end of the deal. Yeah, no but... question. I, I think that's exactly the point, isn't it? Well, I tell you what, we're going to go ahead and read the first eight verses. We have a lot of text to cover today, and we don't want to shortchange any of it. The first eight is kind of an introductory passage of Deuteronomy. It introduces the book, connects the events to the events earlier in Exodus and Numbers, and uh, let's, uh, let's keep on going. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness in the Arabah opposite Suf between Paran and Tophel, Laban, Hazaroth, and Dizahab, 
it is 11 days journey from Horeb by the way of Mount Seir to Kadesh Barnea. In the 40th year, on the first day of the 11th month, Moses spoke to the people of Israel according to all that Yahweh had given him in commandment to them. After he had defeated Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who lived in Heshbon, and Og, the king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth, and in Edrai. Beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses undertook to explain this law, saying, Yahweh our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negev, and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them and to their offspring after them. So Moses begins by, well, essentially, in just a nutshell, reminding them of the covenant and, and what's coming next. They're, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. Yeah, I think, I think the uh, interesting thing for me in this text is that from Mount Sinai to where they are right now is an 11-day journey. And yet it took them 40 years to get back. Uh, because of sin. And and I, I just think that's an interesting uh, juxtaposition there. It is. And, you know, it's one of the things that I think is ammunition for a lot of those who are critical of the scriptures, both uh, from, you know, critical of Christians or Jews. And that is that, well, it shouldn't have taken them that long. It's kind of ridiculous and that they would wander for 40 years, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, what's the best way to, if there is even reasoning with these kind of folks, what's the best way to show them that, yeah, this is intentional as a part of, as a result of sin, not some sort of error in the Bible? Right. You go back to, to numbers and you look at 11 through 14 or so, and you see where God says, okay, you're not going in, follow me. And then they slept around until this whole generation dies. That's intentional. That's that's the result of the sinful nature of, I mean, the people who did not trust God, even though he gave them no reason to distrust him. They did not trust him. They wanted to send spies. The spies came back. They gave this horrible report, except for Caleb and Joshua. They didn't trust that God could do what he said he could do. And so he let that whole generation die by leading them on this fool's errand all over the Sinai for 40 years. And you talk about regret, right? Had they just trusted in God for the victory 40 years earlier, they would have been yeah. where they were now 11 days after leaving Sinai or Horeb. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, That's let's add some verses. Well, I want to add some verses to the conversation. We can obviously keep including this first section, but sure. um, I want to add the leaders being appointed. But Moses continues explaining what's happening. He says, at that time, I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. Yahweh your God has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May Yahweh, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you are and bless you as he has promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for, choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, 
and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me and I will hear it. And I commanded you that at that time, all the things you should do. All right, just adding in that. So Moses is recounting things that have already happened, just as a clarity. This address, is this is this happening before all those gathered uh, to hear it? I think that, yeah, that Moses is like, is somewhere, only by God. You know, we, we talk about Jesus, how he speaks to multitudes um, from a from a boat and from a, a mountaintop, and he uses that. I, Moses is doing the same thing by God's grace. I think he's preaching a sermon. He's, he's talking to this new generation as they prepare to go in and fulfill what God has, has given them. He's just uh, this is this is exhortation, I think, for them, and so he is. I, this is all by way of, uh, I guess, our you know our introduction to the sermon. But he's just reminding them because these people didn't live through this, right? They were the, This is about this happened to the generation that was before them. Certainly, they've heard the stories, but Moses is now reminding them. And I really like what he says in verse 10. He says, Yahweh, your God, has multiplied you, and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. So he's thinking back to that covenant that he's establishing, right, with Abraham, or that God has established with Abraham, I should say. Exactly his words. Well, take us through this. Break it apart for us as we kind of put ourselves in the in the position of either Moses or the people. We're getting ready to enter into the promised land. And as we pointed out a couple times, these are folks who may have never heard this before or they've only heard it, you know, through the teaching of their parents. But but they're now hearing from Moses, which undoubtedly would have been a big deal. This is a great number of people. And so for them all to be gathered to hear Moses address. That's a big deal. Be like the president coming and talking to everybody. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, they, I think it's fascinating that, you know, the entrance here, these are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel beyond the Jordan in the wilderness. Um, and so he is, he's got the tribes gathered and he's speaking to them. I don't know how in the, how in the world his voice could carry that way other than the, the greatness of God. Um, but, they're hearing his words, and he is giving them, this new generation, their own history so that they can understand why they're where they are now and what they have to look forward to going in and encourage them to continue to trust God. There's, you know, he's going he's gonna to recount for them why, they're, why it took them so long to be here. He's going to recount for them what the generation before them did. He's going to recount, and he's going to, you know, these are um, solemn reminders of the, the the penalty for not trusting God and then encouraging them to go forth and do what God has called them to do and trusting in him. And, and in this section, especially verses 15 and 16, Moses is appointing leaders 
And it, it looks like he's appointing them as if you would for a, a giant army, because that's exactly what they're about to become. You know, he gives commanders and and judges in terms of maybe civic or civil judicial matters. But still, he's he's preparing those people. He he not only cannot be burdened by hearing all the complaints and cases and judging equitably between all these massive people. But at the same time, he's also not heading into the promised land and they're going to need that organization. So. I think we see here in terms of the Witham factor, what's in it for me, I think we see here the the benefits of having this established orderly leadership, both then in the time and on the ground and even today. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I get the sense that you think this is what he's doing right there at that time. Are you talking, I, I always, to, are you talking always, to me? No, this is back from Numbers 1-4, right? He's recounting when... When, you know, he, when he set up all the elders, right? So, yeah, he's, and they have lived in this, in this kind of, as you, I think you put it well, the, the sort of civil arrangement of, of this for the, for their whole life. This is what they, this generation has understood is that there are these commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties. They have, they have these judges. Uh, so yeah, that, that's a, that, I think that's, um, it was wise for for them. I mean, I think Moses is probably thinking about his father-in-law at this point, uh, Jethro, who said, "You know, you can't do this all yourself. You need to get some help, man." And uh, and so he he entreats upon God, and this is the way it got set up. Right, and in fact, that's my point. You know, all of this is a historical prologue, letting the people know what's happened in the past. It begins in verse 9 with, at that time I said to you. So it's clearly yeah, something that's right. happened in the past. We learn about it maybe more uh, in time in Numbers chapter 1. I guess the point I'm making is just what you said. They've grown up with this level of structure. Could right. you imagine if they had waited till right before they're about to enter the promised land and uh -huh. then suddenly they're suddenly, you know, having to report to certain military people. And so so I'm saying that, you know, as, yeah, as we see God through Moses organizing his people, even way back in the past, he's organizing them for this moment. Uh, and to, yeah. yeah. And today we continue to organize ourselves in ways that is pleasing to God because well, God is not a God of disorder or chaos. He's a God of order. And yeah, it's it's important that we too, you know, uh, cultivate positive leadership because, well, you know, we still have, in, to to, uh, to analogize it a little bit, we still have enemies today that we are uh, resisting. And, and in the same way, both here and in today, God's the one doing the work. Yep. And, and uh, I think that's, that it's well, one could argue that if, if this had happened, you know, 40 years ago, and then it only took them 11 days to get Kadesh Barnea, and then they went in, they would not have necessarily been used to that <laughs> organization and may have been even more rebellious. So true. Uh, I love that analogy that you're making that back then God even planned. I mean, we know that God knows all things. I mean, it's, it's, it's almost sad to, to, from a human perspective, to see God who is this, who always gives us the opportunity to trust him, knowing that we will fail him. And yet yeah. he is so pa patient and passionate about his love for us that he keeps giving us these opportunities. And he's doing that here as they go in. 
Uh, just sort of as an aside, probably not the main point of any of this, but as he's recounting this organizing and this leadership, and especially when it comes to judges, I, I, it's interesting to me how he says, here are the cases between your brothers, right? So amongst you, set yourselves, judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who was with him. Um, oftentimes, the uh, oftentimes God makes provision for the alien, the sojourner, the one who is not a native-born citizen but lives among the people. Um, God gives down Old Testament laws that include provisions designed to prevent mistreatment of these people. I, I think that's an interesting aside for us today as we think about ways to organize ourselves, especially in the current environment in which we live where the alien is often um, – I guess, uh, demonized. Yeah, and certainly for, for this people in their particular context, it is all those Egyptians who came out of Egypt with the Israelites, who, however that happened, probably through unintentional evangelism, I guess, they were they trusted God and they, became, they came into the homes of Israelites as the angel of uh, death passed over. And, you know, the Passover ceremony today, the Seder, continues to uh, always talk about the alien or the sojourner among you. And in fact, it's tradition among Jewish homes to, to ask someone who's not Jewish to come to the Seder to celebrate with them, to represent all the ones who came out and who are who are not of our of our people, but yet of God. Right, and it is fascinating, too, that uh, you talk about the Egyptians and the unintentional evangelism. Well, uh, yes, yeah, certainly perhaps unintentional evangelism, but I guess if I just saw every god I ever put my trust in completely obliterated by the god of the Jews, right. I think I would yeah. probably be like, you know, I think I'm going to go with the Yahweh people. But anyway. But they had well, to be in the that had that had doorposts and lentils covered by blood, so they were invited in. Exactly. All right, let's uh, move on just a little bit. So now he's continuing to recount uh, what's happened in the past. And with 19, we're going to focus on Israel's refusal to enter that land. Moses says, Then we set out from Horeb and went through all that great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as Yahweh our God commanded us. And we came to Kadesh, Barnea, and I said to you, you have come to the hill country of the Amorites, which Yahweh our God is giving us. See, Yahweh your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as Yahweh, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. But then all of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us, that they may explore the land for us, and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up, and the cities into which we shall come. The thing seemed good to me, and I took twelve men from you, one man from each tribe, and they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eskol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, It is good land that Yahweh our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of Yahweh your God. Now, we're going to pause there. That thought's going to continue. This is the end of verse 26. But so we have them sending them out. Was there something wrong with them sending out the spies ahead of time? I get the sense that that was the beginning of their disbelief. 
They can't trust that God. I mean, if they if they had just trusted God and gone in as Moses had asked, um, then they would not have needed spies to spy it out. I mean, there's two sides to this argument, I guess. You know, if if you're planning an invasion, certainly like D-Day, there were all kinds of spies going in and and making sure that everything was set and, and communicating back. Perhaps that's wise as a as an army. I don't know, but it seems to me that's also the beginning of the seeds of distrust that we don't know if God is really with us. We're going to send some men in there just to double check. And then, of course, you get the report back, which 10 out of the 12 said, oh, it's a horrible place. We're never going to make it. Um, I just, I, you know, I wonder, and I, I'm not convinced that God actually um, asked them to send the spies in. I think this was from them, and Moses did this on his own. And then God, in the end, said, okay, well, make sure it's one from every tribe. But um, they should have just forgotten about the spies and gone on in. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, you're absolutely right. I guess you can see it from two ways. Is it uh, prudent and orderly to say, okay, well, we're going to check out the place and see how to go? But it is amusing what, what Moses recalls here about how they brought some of the fruit and then they said things like, well, it's a good land that Yahweh our God is giving us. Now, I know that's the tone I'm giving it, but I give it that tone because I sense kind of a, almost a disbelief. Like, well, well, of course it's a good land. He told you it was a good land. What are you surprised for? Right. And then, of course, but, yet you would go up. That's uh, that's the, the other shoe dropping, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll tell you what, we're going to take a break, folks. Don't go anywhere. But when we come back, Pastor Parvis and I will keep on going. We'll be studying Deuteronomy chapter one as we just get into this book. So we'll see you on this other side when we return. These are the voices of young Lutherans in Mexico City, children who are excited to learn more about their Savior, Jesus. But they need our help, because good Lutheran books for kids in the Spanish language are in short supply in Mexico. To learn how you can help tell Spanish-speaking kids everywhere about Jesus in a language they can understand, go to the Lutheran Heritage Foundation website at lhfmissions.org forward slash Juan 316. Welcome back to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Pastor Phil Boo. And with me this morning is the Reverend Kevin Parvis, pastor of Congregation Kaiva Shalom in St. Louis. Don't forget, friends, that you can contact me at pastorboo at gmail.com or on Facebook with your questions, comments, and more. You're also welcome to call in 1-800-730-2727. Hey, when you call in, if you don't, if hey, you're nervous, you don't want to get on the air, I understand Leave your message with the uh, with the gentleman who answers or the young lady who answers, and they'll get the, the question to me. All right, here we go. Back to our text, though, brother. 
I took this break a little early because I wanted to make sure that we had plenty of time for this next section. So the, the spies, as he's recounting, came back and said, it's a good land that Yahweh our God is giving us. And I'm going to pick up again with verse 26 through 33 for the rebellion. Here we go. Moses says, yet you would not go up, but rebelled against the command of Yahweh your God. And you murmured in your tents and said, because Yahweh hated us, he brought us out of the land of Egypt to give us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. Where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying, The people are greater and taller than we. The cities are great and fortified up to heaven. And besides, we have seen the sons of the Anakim there. Then I said to you, Do not be in dread or afraid of them. Yahweh your God, who goes before you, will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness, where you have now seen how Yahweh your God carried you as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of this word, you did not believe Yahweh your God, who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents, in fire by night and in the cloud by day, to show you by what way you should go. So we're going to stop there. He's going to pick up with uh, what Yahweh's response when he hears their, their grumbling. But yeah, so they have every reason in the world to trust that no matter what enemy awaits them, that they will be victorious. They just saw, well, figuratively speaking and literally speaking, what happened to uh, the people in Egypt and the gods of Egypt and the, the forces of Egypt. And yet here they are saying, God must hate us. He just wants us to go in there and be killed. Yeah, that's definitely uh, a lack of gratitude, among other things, to say the least. And not just the the, the events of the Exodus, but also the feeding their, with quail and manna. I mean, it's and, and and Moses makes the point here, and I've often wondered uh, if this pillar of fire by night and pillar of cloud by day is not sort of the uh, sort of the forerunner of the Shekinah, God's presence with them at all times, uh, almost the pre-incarnate second person of the Holy Trinity in some sense. Uh, but, he, the, you know, they see his great works. They see his great, they also saw great, I mean, keep in mind, and I'm sure this generation has heard the stories when uh, when they built the golden calf and God's wrath was poured out upon them, the earth opened up and swallowed 7,000 people. I mean, so they know his power, and yet they still do not trust it. Uh, who are the Anakim, right? He says, the cities are great and fortified up to heaven, and besides, we've seen the sons of the Anakim there. Um, who is that? Well, I've often wondered if that's not a uh, um, the... Uh, Refer, reference to Genesis chapter six, I think it is, when the sons of the sons of God and the daughters of men, those giants. Uh, right, right. So they, you know, they, they go they go there, and there's these indications that the people there are. <laughs> I love the descriptions, right? They're taller than us. They're mightier than us. That taller than us. <laughs> Goliath later, who is a giant, apparently. Now, you know, that might be only in reference to tiny little David, but I don't think so. Yeah. 
Well, yeah. what we do know, folks at home, is the Anakim are this group of people mentioned in the Bible. They're they're known for like being like giants, often described as giants, remarkable size, remarkable strengths, descendants of Anak, linked to the Nephilim. So it suggests this lineage, you know, associated with these large and formidable warriors, and they live there. So, th- so in the biblical narrative, right, the Israelite spies go out to scout the promised land, and and they're using this either literally. They literally see Anakim there or figuratively. But the reason why I bring it up is because there's a lot, there's a lot of ink spilled on Anakim and, and Nephilim and all these others. Uh, but in this case, it just demonstrates their fear of these people. Like I sometimes I wonder if they were even that formidable or they were just they just had such a presence and they were so afraid that the Israelites came back. And like a good fishing story, these guys got giant level by the time they got home to Moses. I would guess that the Nephilim from, from uh, Genesis had become almost a, uh, I mean, what would we call it? A legend, you know, a a, a growing urban legend, so to speak among the Israelites. And these Anakim are uh, bringing that urban legend as sort of the boogeyman that will put fear into the hearts of the people because they don't want to go in. They don't think they can do it. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, you know, in, in Yiddish, we have, uh, uh, in Yiddish folklore, we have the golem. And uh, it's, a, it's a giant, hideous monster. And, uh, and, and it's basically the boogeyman. And I think that's what the Anakim are. And I think it refers to the Nephilim back in Genesis uh, 6 or so. Well, what else can we take from the passage that we just read, right? We're getting ready to get into the Lord hearing their words and being angered against them. But but just even here, what else can we learn, right? Because they're, they're, they're afraid. They're reporting basically giants in the land. They see the, the, the um, hyperbole continues right there. Their cities are fortified to the heavens. Even that kind of language. I don't know if that's I don't recall if that's exactly the language they used or if Moses is using that language here. But either way, I think of, well, nothing can be fortified to the heavens. And if it is, who cares? God is the God of the heavens. So I don't know how much to make of that. But I I see here almost a sense of of Moses chastising them. And of course, he is as he recounts these unfortunate um, stories. And what's, what's really amazing is almost the first thing they do when they go in is they encounter a fortified city. And and how do they tear down those walls? By marching around seven times blowing horns. Um, I mean, God, you know, so you can, you know, the fear of the spies comes to fruition in Joshua, and yet the the God's power is made manifest through that. Exactly. Let's add some more verses to our conversation. Here we go. Starting with, oh, let's see here, 34. And Yahweh heard your words and was angered, and he swore, Not one of these men of this evil generation shall see the good land that I swore to give to your fathers, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh. He shall see it, and to him and to his children I will give the land on which he has trodden, because he has wholly followed Yahweh. Even with me, Yahweh was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. 
encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit it. And as for your little ones who you said would become a prey, and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. But as for you, turn and journey into the wilderness, into the direction of the Red Sea. All right, let's look at that. Um, what stands apart? For, well, I guess what stands out from there that's significant to you? Well, I think the, I mean the first, the first thing that stands out is that God takes an oath. Uh, I think that's interesting. Um, he, he basically uh, he, he swears by himself. Surely not one of these men of this evil generation. Um, that's that's striking, I think, because uh, there, you know, what what God says is going to go, and and right there and then he he's, he lets Moses know he's not going to enter either. I yes, absolutely, and you know, and it's interesting how Moses can't go. Well, I don't know. You tell me. I mean, is it because he has done something wrong himself? Or, as Moses is recounting here, it's it's their fault. On account of you, I can't go in. I'm sure it's a both and, but how would you explain that? Well, I mean, we know that Moses did not follow God's God's command and struck the rock rather than simply pouring, having water poured out from the rock. Uh, but also, I wonder here, too, if Moses wasn't giving, because he says earlier, I thought that was a good idea to send the 12 spies. You know, it doesn't say anywhere in this narrative that he sought the Lord's counsel for that. And it was these spies that came back and gave this evil report. So in some sense, I think that that's involved in this as well, is that Moses took it upon himself to allow the spies to go into the land uh, and uh, and so he's also going to pay the penalty for that as well. Well, and I think it really has very little to do with the narrative. But one of the things that stood out to me that I'd like to chew on for just a second is <laughs> the, the phrase. Uh, and as for your little ones who you yeah. said would become a prey and your children who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. And, uh, the, of course, the phrase that's uh, of interest is who have no knowledge of good or evil. I think of Isaiah 7. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. Um, that's Isaiah 7, 15, and 16 is something similar. So the reason, that stand, the reason that stands out to me is, of course, because of my, uh, my Baptist background, right? It's these kinds wow. of phrases that get pulled out. To try to suggest that there are times when, you know, a child comes of some sort of age of accountability. What's a better way to understand that for folks at home who might be thinking the same thing? I mean, I, I think that it's a particular knowledge of good and evil of the people that these people haven't experienced this. These children have not experienced it because, you know, I had this, my my uh, sister came to faith in Jesus uh, shortly after I did, I guess, and uh, I was pretty Lutheran, and I think she came came to faith in a sort of a Baptist or non-denominational kind of environment, and we got into this discussion at her house about original sin and uh, the, the nature of baptism, because she had to have her kids baptized. 
And and she was she sat there telling me, "Are you t- trying to tell me that my little boy has sin in him? He's a, he's a doll. He's a, there's no he doesn't have anything he needs to be baptized for yet. He doesn't even know the difference." And the kid, almost on cue, picked something up and threw it through the glass cup. <laughs> coffee table that was sitting in front of us. It was like, you know, the, oh, the, no. yeah, the nature of sin uh, isn't, you know, is not restricted to people who are older and accountable for their deeds, right? Uh, we all are fallen. And, and, and uh, you know, I don't think that this is a reference to the children who, who don't have any knowledge of good and evil, I think it's a reference to the children of this new generation who did not experience the good and evil that that Moses is preaching about. Yes, I think that makes a lot of sense too. And and you're absolutely right about the sin of children. You know, and there's a reality though that as you mature, you do, you know, obviously learn how to uh, control yourself more. Even as you mature in faith, you learn how to cling more and more to Christ. So that maturing isn't limited to children either. But no, I, I like how you put that. And, and I also like the focus that you put here, because while I think it cross-references to those others, yeah, I would, I, yeah, as I, as I chew on it in my brain, I'm thinking, yep, I, you're right. Th- this is pretty specific about the stuff that's been going on that he's revealing now to these people. Yeah, I don't think it's their nature necessarily. It's just the events. Right, right. Well, let's... Uh, Let's uh, add a few more verses. We, we only have these left in the whole text for this morning. Then you answered me, we have sinned against Yahweh. We ourselves will go up and fight just as Yahweh our God commanded us. Yeah. And every one of you fastened on his weapons of war and thought it easy to go up into the hill country. And Yahweh said to me, say to them, do not go up or fight for I am not in your midst, lest you be defeated before your enemies. So I spoke to you, and you would not listen, but you rebelled against the command of Yahweh and presumptuously went up into the hill country. Then the Amorites who lived in that hill country came out against you and chased you as bees do and beat you down in Seir as far as Hormah. And you returned and wept before Yahweh, but Yahweh did not listen to your voice or give ear to you. So you remained at Kadesh many days, the days that you remained there. Now, this narrative, folks at home, keeps on going just right into chapter 2. There's really no big division, but that's where we're going to stop today. But as I look at this, brother, I think it's interesting because they, they, they seem to, and I'm reminded of a parable of Jesus, they seem to say, okay, you're right, we've sinned, we should fight, we're going to trust you, and then they just sort of want to head off without him. And it's like, no, right. no, 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 that's not what I was saying either. Yeah. And they they run off, you know they uh, they run off in in their in their flesh, right? They they not this this is not a, uh, a an attack on the Amorites in their faith. It's just a it's a fleshly response to what has been going on here. And uh, you know, well, I'll show you then that we can do this. And then I love the imagery of they chased you as bees do. Because no matter how the bees chase you, you're running away and you don't even know where the stings are coming from. It's a totally helpless feeling. I just discovered that again in uh, August when I left our, our place in, on the East Coast. I got into a bee, beehive and boy, it was horrible. 
And, and, you know, unless you're the one being chased by the bees, it's usually a pretty amusing thing too. Yeah, I mean, you have all these, they're, they're, you're flailing and, and, and thrashing and trying to run away. And I, yeah, I, I imagine there's, that's, it's a, it's a derogatory comment. You know, it's like, yeah. you guys look like idiots, not trusting in the Lord. And then you try to go and do it on your own. Don't yeah. we do this so many times ourselves because we say, okay, Lord, I've reflected on your law, what you've commanded me to do. And you know what? I have failed. But don't worry, Lord. I'm going to try extra hard and never do that again. And it's right. like, okay, well, now you've missed the point again, just as they did. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Repentance is relying more and more on Christ more than it is just trying extra hard. Not that we shouldn't strive to obey his will, but but yeah, God doesn't call us to to go off and just try extra hard so that maybe next time we'll please him. We rely on Christ. And in this case, they were called not to just run off to war. God will send them to war, but he has his plan for them to rely on him. And, and the, the whole lesson of this whole first chapter is, guys, just listen to God. Don't, do, don't go off half-cocked. Just listen to God. And, you know, you don't listen to God, then you think you're listening to God, but you're not taking, being still and listening to God. I love the psalm, you know, be still and know that I am God. Just listen. Right. And who now, would have now, thought they'd get into, into, into the uh, promised land and they hit Jericho and this big fortified city, and God would say, well, just march around and light some lanterns and blow horns seven days, and trust me. Who would have thought that would work? Right. Well, and that's it. God knows better than us, even when we, by our own estimations and judgments, think, well, that wouldn't work, or, well, that doesn't make sense. And we so often try to wrestle the control away from God. You know, I, yeah. I want to do what God wants, or rather, I should say, I want to receive the blessings of God, and I think I'll get them this way. That's a little better than the way God has told me to get them. Yeah, we see that on on display right here, for sure, as Moses recounts all of these things. And again, Reminding the folks at home, this is a generation that they didn't do these things. They're simply uh, being uh, reminded of them because, well, it's important to look back on history such that it won't repeat itself. Yeah, and I, I think with, and I, as I was looking at the, the context of the whole book of Deuteronomy, I think Jesus quoted in every temptation in the wilderness from Deuteronomy. And... Uh, uh, it's it's fascinating to me that when you look at this book, even in because you you can almost look at this book in, in isolation from the rest of Torah and get a full gospel account uh, of of the, the of the people of Israel, and looking forward to seeing how many times the Book of Deuteronomy is quoted all through the Scriptures. Uh, it's just such a lovely text. To, uh, to dwell on and just listen, because how many times, you know, you know, unlike I think what the temptation for us is to dwell on our sin and not see the grace that God gives to us. And Moses reminds them of sin, but obviously the and, and there are penalties for sin. Moses is, is feeling that as well, although as I say. I think when God disciplines us, he always does it for our good, and his funeral is beautiful. But um, if we just, instead of dwelling in our sin, be be cut to the heart in our sin and go to God and listen to him, 
his grace through Christ will be poured out upon us. We're going to hear a lot as we go through Deuteronomy, God's call to follow his commands and his statutes and his rules, and then things will go well for them in the land that they are about to possess. That's going to be a recurring theme. Yeah, um, just in the last careful. in the last few minutes, why don't you explain that to us? You know, help us understand uh, exactly what that breaks down to. We're going to cover it a couple times as we encounter it, but, you know, that's going to be the theme that even Jesus says, if you love me, you keep my commands or my commandments. And then the temptation is to say, if we just do the best we can, God is going to bless us. We want to make sure we don't go to that prosperity gospel because that's not what God is talking about. It's about, I mean, he says it himself, you know, when we have all these sacrifices, uh, I don't want your sacrifices. I have the cattle on a thousand hills. I want your hearts. It's not the doing of the commands. It's the desire in our hearts to be children of God. And and in that desire and that relationship with God, through the through yes the doing of commands, not necessarily, and certainly, you know, again we're human beings and we will sometimes just want to do and not want to do, but yes the doing, but just the constant being quiet, listening to God, following His His urgings, following His counsel. That's the relationship. It's not. You know, doing his commands is the dime, and you stick it in the machine, and you get a candy. Um, it, it's it's about this con- constant, ongoing relationship with God. You know, I do in in many ways. I uh, I view my. You talked about as we get older, we get a little bit more mature, and we're able to manage our anger better, and things like that. And while you were saying that, I was thinking, you know what? That's not my experience because I am pretty old now and i still get angry i you know my 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 relationship with god is really like a stock chart it goes up it goes down it goes up but like the dow today it's as long as i'm trusting in god and repenting and receiving his grace uh i'm i am shooting up to that place in heaven where god is calling me to and i might i might feel the crashes now uh, and i might lose my temper and i might yell uh, or, or you know, but God, you know, God always cuts me to the quick and brings me back to him. And so it's, you know, even as children often lose their temper, we do as adults as well. And, and you know, one would hope I'm a lot more embarrassed now when I lose my temper than I probably was when I was a kid. But um, God is still God, and he, he, he just wants us to come back to him. I think that's why he lets us struggle with this blood and uh, this flesh and this spirit uh, dichotomy that we have, because in that dichotomy, we're always coming to him on our knees. Sure. But, you know, we're going to have to keep all that in mind as we go through Deuteronomy. And he says things like, you know, be careful to do all the commandments and that mm-hmm. he will he will punish his enemies to their face. Therefore, you should be careful to do the commandments. So, yeah, I, I, I would push back and disagree with you. I do think that you grow in wisdom and stature as you grow. For instance, you might still get angry, but you probably don't express that anger by, you know, breaking coffee tables. <laughs> and if you if you. 
if you do, then yeah, that, there might be some other issues. But in yeah, any you're, case, you're right about that, Pastor. Good yeah. point. Good point. Yeah, but but no, I mean, of course we continue to sin, and I don't, I wouldn't hold that there's a point at which we are perfected in this life through any sort of method or or you know divinification or anything else. I, you know, we're always going to continue to struggle with sins, and in fact, I would suggest that our 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 types of sins might change more than um, our ability to just sort of refrain from sin altogether. I think it just might shift in the way those yeah. sins are expressed. So in that way, I definitely would agree with you. Yeah. Well, well it's, any it's, uh, fu- good struggle to be because as long as we're coming to God and not trying to rely upon our own our own self, uh, God will always forgive and He will He will bless. Well, that's a, certainly what we want to do. We want to follow our manufacturer's instructions, right? He knows the yeah. the optimum the optimum way for us to operate. Brother, I just got a few more minutes left in the program. I want to give those minutes to you for any final thoughts. Well, I just think that the, the journey through Deuteronomy will be a lovely encapsulation of God's grace, and uh, you, you will enjoy it. I look forward to being uh, in another chapter, I'm sure, next month. Yep, sounds good. We'll see you then. Folks, I'd like to officially thank my guest this morning, the Reverend Kevin Parvis, pastor of Congregation Kaiba Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Once again, thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Pastor. Blessings to you. To you also. Hey, folks, tomorrow we are coming back with Chapter 2. And who will be joining us but, oh, the Reverend Roger Mullet. I just had to look it up there. Pastor Mullet will be here as Moses recalls how the Israelites, led by divine command, navigates through the edges of foreign territories and received God's directive to respect the lands allotted to their neighbors. Moses recounts their obedient journey around Edom and Moab and Ammon, and he underscores these themes of guidance and provision and, well, frankly, the unfolding of God's plan. So that's what we're going to look at tomorrow and a lot more. Until then, may God's peace and blessings be with you all as we pray, Father, keep us in thy strong word. 